0: Well, greetings, friends, and welcome back to Catechesis, a teaching series aimed to instruct in foundational Christian doctrine and to encourage obedience amongst the people of God. Now, for those who don't know me, my name is Joe Anity. I serve as pastor at Emmaus Reformed Baptist Church in Hemet, California, and thank you for joining me today. In this lesson, we will be considering question 15 of the Baptist Catechism, which asks, What special act of providence did God exercise towards man in the estate wherein he was created? We have already established in question 14 that God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. Here, the question is more focused. It has to do with God's providential relationship to man when he was first created, namely with Adam, in the garden prior to the fall. The answer given to question 15 is, when God had created man, He entered into a covenant of life with him upon condition of perfect obedience, forbidding him to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil upon pain of death. This question and answer is of great importance. In fact, I would go so far as to say that you cannot understand the story of Scripture nor the gospel of Jesus Christ without some understanding of the doctrine that is here presented. Notice three things. One, when God created man, he created him upright. Man was pure. He was right before God and was capable of living in obedience to him, yet he was unstable, able to obey, and able also to rebel. Ecclesiastes 7.29 speaks to this, saying, See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Two, When God created man, while man was still upright, God entered into a covenant of life with him. It is very important to recognize that God has always related to man by way of covenant. This was true even before the fall of man into sin. A covenant has been defined as a divinely sanctioned commitment. Someone else has defined a biblical covenant as a declaration of God's sovereign pleasure concerning the benefits he will bestow on man, the communion they will have with him, and the way and means by which this will be enjoyed by them. That is Nehemiah Cox in A Discourse of the Covenants, page 6. It is imperative that we recognize that God, after creating man and after placing him in the garden, established a covenant with him. Our catechism refers to this particular covenant as a covenant of life. This same covenant has also been called the covenant of works, the covenant of creation, or the Adamic covenant. Any of these names will do. They all emphasize a different aspect of this covenant, but they are referring to the same thing. The title, Covenant of Works, emphasizes what was required of Adam to obtain the promised reward. He was to faithfully work and obey God. Uh, The title, Covenant of Creation, emphasizes the time in which this covenant was transacted. It was transacted at, or shortly after, the creation of the world. And the title, The Adamic Covenant, identifies the one with whom this covenant was made, namely Adam, as the representative of all mankind. Again, our confession calls this covenant, The Covenant of Life, Uh, not because it, it disagrees with these other titles, but so as to clearly communicate the reward which was promised to man should he obey. To Adam, it was promised that upon perfect and perpetual obedience, he would earn life eternal, life confirmed and consummated, life in glory. Three, the condition of this covenant was perfect obedience, as we have already said. Adam was to perfectly and perpetually obey God. This is why this covenant is often referred to as the covenant of works. Adam was to obey God. He was to do his work perpetually to the glory of God, and then he was to eat of that tree of life that was placed there in the garden. For We are to recognize that in this covenant, Adam was positively forbidden from eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This tree was no different than the other trees of the garden. With this exception, God set it apart as distinct. This tree functioned sacramentally, therefore. It was a tree of testing, which would show what was in Adam's heart. So long as Adam honored God in the heart, he would avoid it. But as soon as Adam rebelled against God in the heart, he would manifest this disobedience in the act of eating of the one tree that God forbid him from eating. It was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for by abstaining from this tree, Adam would know good and evil through his submission to God's word. But by partaking of this same tree, Adam would know good and evil in a different way, that is, through his rebellion. 5. The punishment for eating of this forbidden tree was death. Genesis 2.16 says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Why have I said that this question is essential to our understanding of the message of Scripture and even to our understanding of the gospel? Well, stated very simply, the story of Scripture is about our redemption in Christ Jesus. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news that salvation from our sins and life everlasting is available through faith in him. Neither of these things can be truly appreciated or fully understood if we do not first know that in the beginning God entered into a covenant of life or works with Adam upon condition of perfect obedience, forbidding him to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, upon pain of death. Knowing about this covenantal relationship is essential for it enables us to understand many other important things, and I will mention three. One, this truth enables us to see why it is that we are born in sin and in need of a Savior. In the next few catechism questions, that is questions 16 through 22, we will learn more about this covenant of life that God made with Adam, One, we will learn that Adam did not keep this covenant, instead he broke it. By his sin, he brought upon himself not the reward of life that was promised therein, but the death that was threatened. Two, we will learn that Adam broke this covenant not only for himself, but for all who would descend from him. Adam functioned as a representative for all humanity. This is easy to recognize in the story of Scripture, for Adam's children were all born outside of Eden, though they themselves had not sinned. And the scriptures everywhere teach that we are born into the estate of sin. Look at the world around you to see the evidence of it. Go to the graveyard and observe the testimony. Men and women are born into this world in sin and into a covenant of works which is broken. And the wages of sin is death, spiritual and physical. Three, we will learn in question 23 of our catechism that God, having out of his mere good pleasure from all eternity, elected some to everlasting life, did enter into a covenant of grace to deliver them out of the estate of sin and misery and to bring them into an estate of salvation by a Redeemer. This is the gospel. But notice that the good news of the gospel cannot be properly understood unless it is set against the backdrop of the bad news of the broken covenant of works. This doctrine that we are here considering is an essential doctrine. Secondly, this truth that is established here in question 15 helps us to see why the Savior needed to be a man who could live a sinless life and keep God's law. I will keep my comments brief here, for we will have opportunity to speak more about this in the lessons to come. But I want for you to see how it is that God accomplished our redemption. He did so through the Incarnation. The eternal Son of God took on true humanity in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ earned our salvation by living in perfect and perpetual obedience to God. In other words, he did what Adam failed to do. Stated in yet another way, Christ earned our salvation and instituted the covenant of grace by fulfilling the terms of the covenant of works, which was broken by the first Adam. This is one of the reasons why Paul calls Christ the second Adam. He calls him that because Adam and Christ share this in common, they both functioned as representatives for others. In Adam, all who are in him by natural birth, "'die under the covenant of works which he broke. "'But in Christ, all who are in him by new birth live, "'for he has fulfilled the covenant of life, "'the same covenant which Adam failed to keep.'" Truth be told, he has done more than that. Christ has also redeemed us from sin and death. Uh, The first Adam did not have that responsibility, nor did he have that ability I'm getting ahead of myself a little here, but for now I want you to see why it is important to know that a covenant of life or works was made with Adam in the garden. Without this knowledge, it is difficult to understand why the Christ needed to be born of a woman, born of a virgin, and yet be divine so that he might keep the covenant of life and rescue us from sin and death. Thirdly, This foundational truth that a covenant of life was made with Adam in the garden enables us to understand that everyone who is born into this world is born into Adam and is therefore under that covenant of works which he has broken. The curses of the covenant belong to us, therefore. This is why Paul says that we are by nature children of wrath. We are born in sin and in a state of spiritual death how important it is for us to know what our original condition is. It helps us to better understand man's need for a Savior. Man's greatest need is to be redeemed from sin and death, to have Christ as their head and not Adam, so that they might partake of the blessing of the covenant of grace which were earned by Christ, and not the curses of the covenant of works which were broken by the first Adam. May we be faithful, brothers and sisters, to proclaim the good news of Jesus the Christ. May we be faithful to appeal to others to be found in him so that they too might have the forgiveness of their sins and life everlasting. And may we also be prepared to explain to others why it is that we need a Savior. In order to do so properly, we must be ready to go all the way back to Genesis and to show that a covenant of life was made with Adam in the garden, but he failed to keep it, and thus entered in to the estate of death. That is the dark backdrop against which the gospel of Jesus Christ is able to shine forth. Until next time, abide in Christ.